Good morning. It's so wonderful to be here together with you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning, either in person or online. We sure are blessed and thankful to be here together uh, this morning to worship and fellowship and study God's Word. Uh, two weeks ago, we started a series on Daniel, and we looked at chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 today. But in chapter 2, I want to give you a quick uh, rundown of some things that just happened in chapter 2. We learned that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he had some dreams, and they were bothering him so much he couldn't sleep. And so he uh, sent word out to all his magicians and sorcerers and, and enchanters who they claimed could you know, interpret dreams and, and understand his visions and things like that. None of them, though, could tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was. That was the stipulation so that they wouldn't trick him. He said, you tell me what the dream was, then I'll know you can interpret it. None of them could. They said, no one who walks the earth can do that. Well, he decided he's just going to destroy all of them then. What, they're, they're, they're worthless to him then. And Daniel hears word of it, and he keeps everybody from being killed. And he gets the opportunity to go before King Nebuchadnezzar to not only interpret his dream, but first of all, tell him what the dream was. And this was God's way, one of the many ways we see God at work in the book of Daniel to uh, raise Daniel up, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we're going to look at today, to do God's work because God was about redeeming his people. God was, even though he had sent them to exile in Babylon as, as captives of Nebuchadnezzar, he was about redeeming them back to him because he's always after our hearts. And so Daniel interpreted the dream for him, and he told them that what this dream means is that God is going to eventually establish his kingdom on this earth, and it will crush all earthly kingdoms, yours and all those who, will to who are to come. God's kingdom will destroy all and crush all kingdoms. His kingdom is greater. It is eternal. And that kingdom would come... This was a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus first came to this earth, and then it foreshadowed to his second coming, when he would come again to take those who are his, who are in his kingdom, back to their eternal home in heaven with God. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was so amazed at this that he promoted Daniel high, further up in a higher position uh, in Babylon, and Daniel advocated that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also be uh, promoted to a higher level. And so the king obliged to that. And you would think, as we move into chapter 3, you would think that the king, after seeing this, that he would be convinced that Daniel's God is the God, and that he would no longer uh, worship multiple gods, that he would see that Daniel's God is the true God, let me worship him. But he's like many of us are, and we do things that don't make sense all the time, do we? we? We see God work, we see God's power, we see how amazing God is, and yet we turn around and act like we don't even know the difference between God and something else in this world. And so we're going to see that displayed. That's one of the things God is teaching us through this lesson 
of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. Now in verse 4, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has built this 90-foot tall statue made of solid gold. It was 90 feet tall and it was 9 feet wide. We can't even really imagine what that would have looked like. And he set it out on the plain. Now this is the same place, the same Babylon, where the Tower of Babel was built. The giant tower, and they said, let's, let's build our way up to God. And we see that same spirit alive in King Nebuchadnezzar. And so the command was, in verse 4, that when you hear the music of all these different instruments, everyone is commanded to bow down before this statue and worship. That's what the king had commanded. This wasn't a request. This wasn't an invitation. Be here if you can, RSVP if you can make it. Hope to see you there. This was a command from the king who had all authority to enforce it with lethal enforcement if he chose to. In fact, that's what he said would happen. You were commanded to do this or die. And so uh, what happened do we see in verse 7 when all of the music played? We see in verse 7 that all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had, had sent word out through his entire empire and he had brought together all the who's who, all the higher ranking people, all the people who had influence and credibility among all of his empire. They were to be there to worship, to bow down. He was unifying. Uh, uh, this was a political and, and religious and uh, government unification ceremony that was happening here. They were to bow down before this statue that he set up in worship and, and worship this statue as the king had commanded. And then all of these people who were the who's who from his whole empire would go back and everybody would know we bow down and we worship the statue that the king has put up. But we know that there were three people who wouldn't do that, right? The children, you know this story, don't you, children? You know that there were three who refused to bow down. There were three who said, we ain't doing that. No matter what you say, no matter who you are, we refuse to bow down and worship. And we see that in verses 8 through 12 of Daniel 3, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship this golden image because that was not the God that they served. That was not what their God had commanded them to do for worship. So they teach us that no matter what the, the culture says, no matter what the world says, you don't bow down. And there's always someone there to stir up trouble when you won't go along with what the world says to do, right? And the Chaldeans, which were some of the elite uh, 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 fortune tellers and, and educated astronomers of their day in Babylon. The Chaldeans were quick to come tell on these Hebrew boys that wouldn't bow down, that wouldn't obey the king. They were ready to stir up some trouble with these young men. And so they came and they tell the king and they repeat to the king what it is that he commanded and what the penalty would be if they didn't obey. And he was furious and he found out who it was. He had them brought before him. And he was furious and upset that these three, whom he knew, would not bow down. 
But you see, they understood that regardless of your culture, what culture says, your job, your school, your friends, the laws, they understand you don't bow down to anyone when you follow God. No matter what they say, no matter what the rules say, no matter what culture says is right, no matter what culture says, hey, this is what we all agree to now, this is what's good and okay now. It wasn't yesterday, five minutes ago, but today it is. They said, we don't care what anybody says. We don't bow down to what the world says. We only worship God. You see, they understood this goes back to the Ten Commandments. This is Ten Commandments stuff. The first two commandments, do you remember what they are? The first is that you should have no other gods before you. And the second is don't make a carved or engraven image and bow down and worship that image. They understood this. And it was that simple. Therefore, they didn't violate that, that, that commandment, that commitment in the heart. They had uncompromised faith. And nothing that happened in the world around them could get them to compromise their faith. But can you imagine the pressure that they would have felt? Imagine the massive audience that was there. We don't know how many people were there in that crowd before that 90-foot golden statue. And the king is there. And it's been announced you will do this or die. And the music is playing. And maybe it's emotional or it's powerful, but the, the social uh, pressure to just do it, just do, it doesn't mean you mean that, right? Just go through the motions. You don't have to mean it in your heart. Just, just do it so you don't have to die. They said it doesn't matter. We will not bow down in worship to anything or anyone but God. And so it didn't matter what was happening. They were going to stand. But can you imagine the pressure they felt? They, they're human beings. They had to feel the pressure, the, the gasps in the audience. The audience is the friends who were saying, what are you doing? You're nuts. Bow down. He's going to kill you. And yet they stood there together, strong, not bowing down, giving in. And we face pressure like that, don't we, in our world today? Not to that extreme, but we face pressure. Maybe it's through our family. Maybe it's definitely through culture at our school, through relationships, even at our jobs, to compromise on things, to say these things are now okay and these things aren't, or to cheat and lie and do these different things. We face those pressures in our life. We know what that feels like. We've all experienced that. Just bow down. Just go through the motions. It doesn't mean you mean it in your heart and in your mind. Just go along with. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, that's not how we live. We live against the grain of culture. We flow against the current. We don't follow the crowd. We live out of step with the way the world says we're supposed to live. We only worship and bow down to God. Now, in verses 13 through 15, we see that the king, he called them up to him. He had them brought to him. And he even gives them a second chance. And possibly it's because he knew who they were. He knew their story. He knew that they worshiped the true God. He just had that experience with Daniel. And he saw what happened in Daniel chapter 1 and, and, and their health and, and how God was prospering them. And so he gives them a second chance. He explains it to them. He says, don't you see? 
Look at what he says in verse 15. Now, he explains it to him. He says, now if you're ready, when you hear the music, just bow down and worship and everything will be just fine. You see, even he's trying to give him the second chance. Just please, guys, just go along with this. You're making me look bad. Come on, guys. I don't really have an issue with y'all. Just do what I said. In fact, it was brought to his attention. He had to act, didn't he? He had to do something. He had to keep his word in front of all these people. But they didn't go along with the command. And he said, if you don't, I'm going to kill you. And they didn't. And so he was furious. He was enraged. He was so angry. Right in front of all of these people, they dared defy him to disobey King Nebuchadnezzar. And look what he says in verse number 15. Who is the God, little g, who will deliver you out of my hands? Look at how he saw himself. Now, in his view, think about it from his point of view. He's the one who just conquered Jerusalem, where their God is supposed to have been God. And he destroyed uh, uh, the, the temple. He destroyed the temple of God that they claim to worship. So he has conquered their God. So what God will defeat me if you disobey me? I've defeated your God, he thinks in his mind. But look in verse number 16, how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer the king. This is the king. These are just three little guys. They have some position, but look at what they say. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Can you believe they said that to the king? They're saying, hey, we don't have to defend ourselves to you. We don't have to explain ourselves. We don't have to justify ourselves. We're going to, you do what you need to do. We're going to do what we got to do. And see, you don't always have to go around uh, explaining why you're going to stay committed to God, justifying yourself, trying to help somebody understand who's totally against the way you're going to live, your commitment to Christ. You don't always owe somebody an explanation. You live, uncommit- you live committed and uncompromising faith to God regardless because the king wasn't going to listen. He was going to kill him. You see, and they, they didn't do any good to explain themselves. Oh, king, if you would just listen and hear us out. Here's why we won't bow. It doesn't matter. You don't bow, you die. And they were committed no matter what happened. Look at verses 17 and 18. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. He said, oh, we, God is able, he's powerful to deliver us. You need to know that. And he might do that. But if he doesn't, God still wins. And we still won't bow. God is still God. He's still more powerful. See, Nebuchadnezzar hadn't understood the dream that Daniel just interpreted to him, does he? In chapter 2. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this uncompromising faith, whether it was in a large crowd or then up close and personal with the king. See, now imagine that pressure then. The king has you right there. And here's the tattletales here telling you. And here's the musicians over here. And there's the, the, the guys who are going to throw you in the furnace. And you're right here on stage in front of all these people. And he's saying, just bow. You get one more chance. Imagine that pressure. 
Some, some of us might do well standing up in a large, massive crowd, but not in a, you know, in a one-on-one circumstance. Some of us might be the other way around. These guys show us no matter if it's the big crowd or the little one-on-one or even by yourself, you live an uncompromised life of faith before God. You never bow and worship a false god in your life. Now, did you catch how they answered King Nebuchadnezzar? They basically said, whatever happens, happens. We win because we worship God. You can't do anything to us. There's nothing you can do to us. They knew God's power. This is important. But they didn't know God's plan. Now that's important for us to understand. Because we, can, we need to know that God is able to deliver us. God is able to do all the things, all these things. But we don't know God's plan and how he's going to work things out. And they teach us that in their response to the king. God is able to deliver us, but we don't know what he's going to do in this moment. We don't know what he's thinking. We don't know what his plan is. But whatever it is... We stand with God, and we win because we bow only to God, and you lose. You see, the plan may not work out the way you want it to work out. You may still get thrown in the fiery furnace. But when you only bow to God, you win in the end. So what did he also say? Look at this, but it, verse 18. But if not, we, be it known to you, O God, that... I mean, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now look at what, he, what they refer to Nebuchadnezzar's statue as. This golden image that what? That you have set up. Do you see that? They, they totally minimize this giant, massive golden statue that all these other people bowed to, that he's so proud of. And they say, it's something you built. It's a sand castle. It's a Lego set. It's nothing. It's Play-Doh. It's, it's nothing. You think it's something. And this is just something you built. And you want people to bow down and worship it. We won't do that because it's meaningless. And your gods are no gods at all, they're telling him. They pointed out how ridiculous His God was, his gods were, his statue was, and it was nothing worthy of worship. And we need to have that same mentality when we see the gods, the idols, the statues that everyone just falls over and bows down to in today's culture, sports and politics. And, and, and whatever the, the hot topic is, whatever the current uh, news of the culture, whatever the culture says, this is what we bow down to. This is what we're doing. Oh, no, we're over here now. Everybody run over here and do this. Or power or success or money or status or, 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 or looks or likes or whatever it might be. See how people so quickly just drop to their knees and bow and worship? To whatever this world feeds them, whatever the world holds out and says, here, these are your gods, and people drop to their knees and bow without a second thought. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying, wait a second, we we have minds, we can think, we don't just bow because you say to, we only bow 
to God. We need to think critically about the things that we bow down to. And the Bible says he was furious, filled with fury. He had the furnace heated up even hotter and had them thrown into the fiery furnace. Does the story end there? Children, you know if the story ends here, right? Does it end here or is there more to the story? The children know that it continues, that we're not done yet. That Nebuchadnezzar thought, hey, I've won again. I've defeated this God again. But in verses 24 and 25, we read that Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So the king calls out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He calls them out and he calls them to come to him. And they're totally unharmed. There's, there's, their clothes aren't burned. Their hair isn't burned. They don't even smell like they've been near a fire. And if you've been around a campfire for two minutes, you can't get that smell out of you for a week. It's all over you. And they didn't smell anything like a fire. He was astonished. But look at what he says in verse number 28. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. King Nebuchadnezzar teaches us the lesson we need to learn from this story. Do you see it there? Look in verse number 28. Put your total trust in God. Nebuchadnezzar, the king is telling us what the lesson is. Put your total trust in God. And look in ver- also in verse 28. Set aside the commands of the world, of culture, of the job, of the, the authority, of whoever that authority is who's, who claim they have that authority in your life. You set aside their commands and you only yield to the commands of God. Put your total trust in God. Set aside the commands of culture and worship God only. Worship God only. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, look, this is the lesson. He learned it. That doesn't mean he, he abided by that, but he got it right there in the moment, and he shares it with us. Now let's go back to verse number 25. There's something there in verse 25 we want to look at for a minute. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth person in there, and he said, it looked like a son of the gods. Now some translations say, like the son of God, but the, a son of the gods is a more accurate translation. However, that could very well have been Jesus in the fire with them. It could have been an angel. God used angels throughout the Bible. We don't know exactly the translation a son, like a son of God, like the son of God is not an accurate translation, but a son of the gods is the way Nebuchadnezzar, who believed in multiple gods, would have understood that. But nevertheless, it could very well have been Jesus or an angel. But at the same time, that particular detail isn't as important as it is to know that what that meant was God was with them 
through the fiery furnace. God was with them in what they were going through. And God was showing, chapter, two, chapter 1, that God was with them even though he put them in exile. Chapter 2, God was with them because he was foreshadowing his coming kingdom and that all these earthly kingdoms would come to ruin. And chapter 3, God was with them even when you have to stand alone and, and they want to put you to death. God is with you no matter what you go through in life. Through all of your trials and tragedies, God is with you. That's the message. And it also foreshadows this promised coming Savior of the world. Because look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 23. Matthew quotes Isaiah, and we've already been to Isaiah from the book of Daniel. Matthew quotes Isaiah in Matthew 1 and at, about the birth of Jesus saying, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. But they didn't actually call Jesus Emmanuel. So what does that mean? That Isaiah wasn't prophesying that they would call him Jesus. Isaiah was prophesying that that's what they would call him because that was his nature. That's who he was. That identified who he was. God was literal. Jesus was literally God with us. John chapter 1, right? He was God in the flesh. The world, word became flesh. And the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and made his what? Dwelling among us. That is God with us, Emmanuel. And that's what we see foreshadowing. God is saying all the way back to Daniel chapter 3, God is with his people always through the good times and the bad. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going to go through, God is there. You can trust Him. You can count on Him. You can stand for Him because no matter what happens, He is still God and He is still there for you no matter what you're going through. God is with us. Jesus is God in the flesh. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had God in the flesh in some form there with them, God is with us today, with us through all of the things that we go through. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. You see, because there's something we need to remember about Jesus, that back then God saved his, those three young boys from the flames of that fiery furnace, from being condemned to be lost in the flames. And God was with them then and God is with us now. God is with us through uh, not even Jesus now, but His Holy Spirit to be uh, real specific, John 14, 15, and 16. But God is with us always. And Jesus came, Matthew 1, to save His people from their sins. That's what the angel told Joseph. Told Joseph. He said, stay with Mary because she's giving birth to the Savior and He will save His people from their sins. You see, God is still with us today, saving us from the fiery furnace. Except not one that's just really, really hot that a king made. One that is an eternal fire and God saves us from that, being that furnace, that eternal furnace through Jesus Christ. 
God is always with us and saves us from the flames. To those who turn to Him, who put their faith in Him, who stand with uncompromised faith, with absolute committed faith. That same God who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back then is with His people today who put their faith in Him. So ask yourself, have you put your faith in that Savior, the Savior that we see foreshadowed back in Daniel, the Savior who God sent uh, uh, through Mary, the Savior who died on the cross for our sins, the Savior who was resurrected by the power of God, the Savior through whom only can we be saved from our sins and be given an eternal uh, home in heaven instead of being eternally lost? Have you put your faith in that Savior? And then you say, well, I have. Have you been living like it? Are you still standing when everybody else is bowing? When the world says bow and worship, are you standing to worship the true God? Where is your faith today? Where is your commitment today? If we can help you this morning, if we can pray for you, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.